Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. We are slowly starting to understand hyperemesis gravidarum as a condition in pregnancy, but Shante, who I speak to today, has lived with another relentless condition known as tylism, similar to hypersalivation. The statistics are unknown, and this condition in pregnancy is very misunderstood, underrecognized, and there are not many options for treatment available. Shante is a mother, HG survivor, tylism warrior, and does a great job at advocating for more awareness, research, and treatment for these conditions. She's also a nurse and dedicates her spare time to creating beautiful handcrafted pottery pieces. Shante wants her story known so that others who may suffer know that they are not alone. Okay, Shante, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Okay, well, I am a mum of one. She's almost three years old, a small business owner and a loud advocate and supporter of past, present and current hypermesis gravidarium and tylism sufferers. And these two conditions are very close to my heart. Um, and is why I want to talk about it. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I'm all for it. I'm all for talking about it because I'm sure we'll get into this, but I ha- I was a HD mum slash survivor, and I know the importance of raising awareness for conditions such as HD, but also tylism, which yeah. is new to me as well. So we'll start right from the be- beginning of your story. Mm-hmm. And what did fertility look like for you? And how did you feel about falling pregnant? Well, we weren't actually planning on having any babies. We were using the um, family awareness method. I don't know if you know much about it, but we use that to avoid fertile periods. Um, And I think I was two years into using that as an effective method when I got a bit lazy and um, ultimately resulted in a baby. Um, This this kind of method did allow me to know I was pregnant kind of way before the four-week mark, before pregnancy tests would even say positive. So I had kind of an extra week and a bit or maybe to know I was pregnant. So I had an extra bit of time to kind of enjoy the pregnancy. It wasn't like we wouldn't want a baby. It was just not in our plans anytime soon. Um, But yes, she's come along and changed my world for the better. So um, Mm. not a bad thing at all. And so had it ever occurred to you that you may have some kind of morning sickness? No, not at all. I was aware of pregnancy sickness with hyperemesis. I, um, I'm a nurse myself, not in pregnancy, not in the, the baby world, um, but I was kind of interested in women's health. And so I, you know, just kind of sparked my interest. We'd watch, you know, birth videos online a lot. Um, and I do know there's two mums 
that I happened to follow on YouTube who had hyperemesis, but they never spoke about the severity of it. They were just said they were sick. So um, I just kind of thought it was the, a bad kind of morning sickness kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, tell us about your pregnancy and hyperemesis gravidarum experience then. So I obviously wasn't in any way sick for quite a bit. I think it was around week six that I kind of felt a bit of sickness. I just kind of thought this is a normal pregnancy sickness that you expect wasn't in any way overwhelming it was around week eight where I really kind of wasn't any able to tolerate anything I wasn't eating I wasn't drinking I would you know come home from work and kind of end up in the bathroom in the dark trying to numb myself quite early on and this was around summertime here in Perth which is extremely hot and I work in the community so I'm outside and this is I think this was boxing day I was driving to work and I have my trusty vomit bucket but I was so sick that particular day that just the drive home, I mean, on home, sorry, to work was so intense that we only have one tunnel here in Perth and I had to drive through it. And I was vomiting in the tunnel so much that my eyes would close. And I was like, I realized when I got to my first client, I was like, this is bizarre. I cannot be driving a car vomiting so much where I would be closing my eyes. Like, this is ridiculous. And as a nurse, I mean, I realized, I'm mean, hindsight, you know, of course, but when you're so sick, and it's yourself, you don't really can handle or think about the severity of it, or you kind of just deal with it, you kind of move on. But that was kind of a turning point. Um, I was so sick that day that I, I mean, I've been sick constantly, but that was kind of the breaking point, I guess, at work. I wasn't able to even walk into my first client's house. I was so sick, I wasn't able to get out of the car. I don't think I was eating much at all. I think I was trying to eat a hash brown. It all came up and it was just kind of like go, go or vomiting, constant vomiting. Where the nurses who I was working with and I had a good friend and she's like, you can't work like this. This is ridiculous. You, sh you shouldn't be at work. It's hot. You're dehydrated. Um, you should be going home. So I was already someone kind of, I guess the first time someone said to me, you're really sick. Like I knew I was sick. My husband knew I was sick. It was the first time someone else told me, you are sick, you shouldn't be doing this, which meant I called my boss in tears. The first time I've had to tell anyone else other than my family that I cannot work, I'm pregnant and I cannot work. It kind of was like me giving in to it all and kind of really realizing. And from there, it kind of got worse. And it's almost like I was trying to be strong. But then when someone else said, like, this is not okay, I gave in to really knowing how sick I was. So yes, from like that particular day, it was, a, it was obviously a public holiday, the thick of summer here in Perth. I got home. Now, my mum did know I was pregnant prior. We told them all um, earlier within December. And my husband, who's been trying to kind of give me any kind of fluids, anything to eat, he was amazing trying to find anything possible, going anywhere and everywhere, trying to find cookies and crackers and whatever. Um, and I'm sure you know that very well. He got to a point where I called him that day saying, I'm not at work, I can't do this. He's like, you need to call your mum. I don't know what to do anymore. So he got to a point like he doesn't know. And then of course my mum didn't realise just how sick I was until she saw me. Um, and then she came up with, you know, all kinds of things that she thought I should try. Um, I think there was a few hours when she was at home and I was in the dark bathroom. I couldn't lift my head up. I wasn't really talking. I was watching, like, just watching... I don't know, series or something, just to kind of numb myself. She's like, you, we need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the doctor. You haven't had anything less than 10 mils of fluids 
that particular time that she could see. She said, we need to go. So we went to a locum doctor. And this is the start of healthcare professionals really um, dismissing me. They, the, he, the, I can't even, like, he didn't even talk to me. My husband was there and my mom, but he wasn't even talking to me. I know that he gave me a Maxillin injection. He gave me a scriptural Danzatron and a week off work. And then he gave me the passing comment of, oh, it's just morning sickness. We'll go over week 12, which I'm sure as you, you have heard, it was a constant thing I got told time after time after time. So no one ever validated the severity of my sickness, even though I wasn't eating, I wasn't drinking anything, really. And I wasn't even able to talk, to talk. like I was just a shell of a human. So that was the start of this journey of high premises that no, no one ever was in any way helping me. Um, I know that way, that drive home was the worst drive ever. I had a very adverse reaction to the Maxilon. I wanted to jump out of the car. I wanted to jump out of the car. I was this weak woman who was pregnant and wasn't eating and drinking. And now I couldn't sit still. I couldn't sit still. I wanted to jump out of the car. Um, I was like almost a panic attack I was having, but it wasn't, um, I now know it was a, re a reaction towards the Maxilon or whatever in my life, take that again. Um, and apparently a few, few people have that reaction. So I never took Maxilon again. It was really hard. That is a lot. Like, and I mean, this was all roughly around the eight to 12 week mark. It was eight weeks. I was the same day still. It was still the same day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Horrendous. And I fully understand um, the feeling of people dismissing it as morning sickness, which I just think is a little bit crazy as well, because I think women are expected to just keep going regardless of how sick they are. Like even if you vomit one time that day, but you felt nauseous all day and it's regular morning sickness, mm -hmm. you're just expected to just persevere. And that sort of baffles me a little bit, to be honest. Um, it angers me really. Yeah. And then to, for you as a woman having a condition like HG to then second guess yourself and how sick do I have to be before someone actually takes me seriously? Um, yeah and it is it's so defeating it's so defeating and you know I you talk and I'm like nodding the whole way through because I, I completely understand where you're coming from but it is sort of it is sort of a condition whereas it's like if you have not had this before you may really just not understand um and I think that's why being able to share your experiences I think it absolutely helps people um, gain a bit more perspective and maybe a bit more compassion towards mm -hmm. even just simply morning sickness. I, I think, 100%. yes, just the fact that we fob that off is just a bit, <laughs> it's a lot. So then you, I remember reading your story and you mentioned that you basically lived in your dark bathroom from then on. And then what happened next? So I, after that particular day, I went and saw my GP, just a regular GP, to kind of, and I guess, do the normal pregnancy stuff. We've done that before, but also follow up on the locum or the other doc that I saw. And the doctor did give me a repeat script for Dangitron, but then also instilled a fear. He said, try not to take this. It's not really safe. Which, so that was the start. So that was my saving grace. It was the only medication at that time. I think it was boxing that day was a Friday or something. And I saw the doctor on my doctor on the Monday. So that weekend I was taking the Adanzatron and it was somewhat helping, but I was still very, very sick, but it was better than I was before. 
So then I saw my GP on the Monday and he's like, don't take it. So, which was awful because I mean, it's firstly, I want to say Odantotron is not unsafe for baby. There are so many studies that have been done and, you know, I can send you a link of some for you to have it on hand, but even Hyperemesis Australia has resources on it. It's not unsafe. And, but he instilled this fear um, early on and it lasted all through my pregnancy, even though by then I was kind of more people were saying it's okay to take it. I was worried that it was going to cause something to my baby and also still guilt in me that I'm already taking so much in medications. I mean, and we haven't even started that side yet, but I, in the end I had to take so much medications and yet that doctor kind of started early on that you may cause some harm with your baby when I'm already so sick and fearful that I'm not, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking. That must, must, must cause some stress to my baby. You know, luckily she was hundred percent perfect. There was no concern in the end, but still around 11 weeks, um, was kind of the the breaking point. It was like two months of no eating, no drinking, in and out of my GP who here and there gave me a bit of fluids, um, repeat scripts for Dandatron, um, and then, you know, sick notes for my work. Um, I was, I think I only peed once that day. And I said to my husband, this is not okay. I need to go to hospital. Um, so I did. Um, it was nighttime. I don't even know what time it was. It was early nighttime. Um, and we got in the car. I wasn't even able to sit up in the car. I had to lay down. Um, I was that weak. And we stopped at the hospital. And it's almost like a release of some sort because I just started to sob. And I was sobbing like I was crying. I couldn't get out of the car. My husband's like, come on, let's go in. He had to go get a wheelchair. I wasn't able to walk. Um, I had a buff over my eyes um, because it was, I mean, I'm sure you know, like the, the light and any kind of stimulation was just too much. It was just aggravating the nausea. Um, so I had a buff over my eyes, like the bird box movie. Like I couldn't see anything. I wasn't talking. The triage nurse was um, trying to get any kind of information and out. I mean, all I could say to her is like, I don't want Maxilon. That's all I could say. Um, my poor husband and my mom was trying to vocalize everything that's happened in the weeks leading up to this point. Um, um, when they finally took me through, luckily, it's a small women's hospital here in Perth, um, which only take women, which is so there wasn't a long wait for me to go. Um, I, when I got onto the bed, I was in such a state of, I don't want to say panic because I didn't know I was panicking at that time. But it's almost like I got on there and I wanted to give them access to my arms so they could give me IV fluid because I knew they were going to. But I was in such a distressful, this, just so distressed that I was taking my clothes off. I was naked. I was taking my clothes off. So it can really kind of highlight to you just the distress I was already in, the the state of my mind. Um, I don't really have the words to describe it, but it was, it's it, it can just really show you how sick I was. Like I wasn't able to think clearly. I was just surviving and trying to help. But in my kind of confused, I wasn't confused that you couldn't talk to me, but I was confused that I wasn't able to think clearly enough to help them help me so I was naked I was clicking my clothes off and one of the I don't know if it was a nurse or a doctor they said are you an anxious person and I would never have ever classed myself as an anxious person prior to that day but I still think about it because I am now a very anxious person um, and I'd like to also talk about that side of HG because it has impacted me so much after babies in Earthside, and it's a side that I guess people I wasn't aware of that how much it will still affect me, even though my baby's earth side three years, I'm still petrified of getting sick, gastro, migraines, there's foods I'm not even eating. Um, but yes, 
it's crazy. So now I think about it, I was like, I'm actually really anxious. I was very anxious. I was having a panic attack then um, at the hospital. I was finally having someone going to help me, but they didn't. They gave me four injections. I don't know what that was. Um, obviously, it was helping me. I got four bags of fluids. They didn't put any plan in place. This is a woman's hospital, a woman's hospital who sees mostly pregnant women. Would You would guess see mostly hyperemesis women. No one there gave me a diagnosis. Um, after my last fluid bag was finished, I think it was around one o'clock or two o'clock, they're like, you can go home. So the state that I went into that hospital, I wasn't able to talk. I wasn't walking. I couldn't see light. My husband, my mother had to speak for me. The day in any way, we're like, oh, nothing. Go home. You can go home. Of course I go home because do I don't think, want to be in hospital. Well, do you, I'm curious because of the the assumption they made about you being anxious or asking mm-hmm. you if you were anxious, if they just put it down to she's a hypochondriac because of her anxiety. That. I yeah. thought that, um, which angers me so much because mm. that's not at all who I am. And I don't think if I was that person with my parents, my mom and my husband play along, they wouldn't play along to that extent where they mm. literally were wheeling me into a hospital. So it's frustrating because it goes back to what we said before that we kind of, do I have to fall dead on the floor before you take me seriously? Yeah. It's ridiculous that I was like, that was the worst I was. And I was physically unwell. Mentally, I was just at the last straw. I couldn't do with it. And yet they were dismissing me then in that point in my mm-hmm. time. No one in anywhere even thought like maybe she needs some, even if I was a hypochondriac, wouldn't they have got the mental health team involved? They didn't. They just dismissed me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's frustrating. Yeah. So I went home. I went home and everyone kind of, my, my husband went to work, my mom went to work. You know, I'm just always sick. But when I woke up the next day, I lost, I thought I lost my mind. I honestly thought I lost my mind. I all of a sudden noticed the saliva in my mouth. I had to consciously think about swallowing. I was like, have I never in my life ever thought about the saliva in the mouth, the amount of saliva that you have in your mouth? I thought I was crazy. I was like, I had, why, why do I all of a sudden have to think about swallowing? And I couldn't. You know, I'm a nurse. I can handle a lot of body fluid. But ironically, the only body fluid I cannot deal with is saliva. So I was stuck with this excessive amount of saliva. Um, I think it was, you know, I soon started putting a towel in my mouth because that was the way I could manage it. Um, and my poor husband, I think it was his lunch break that I he Googled quickly and found that a small percentage of hyperemesis sufferers struggle with tylism as well. And at the time, I didn't know it was called tylism. Um, it was only hypersalivation that I was aware of. Later on my pregnancy, I came across, came across a post on um, pregnancy sickness support. Um, they posted about tylism, which gave me the word. And I had a handful of mums there who opened up and shared. So I didn't feel alone. But that was only, I think I was week 16, 17, when I finally found a word. How did it feel for you having a label? I guess it made it real, but it didn't make me feel in any way less alone because I was alone um, throughout the whole pregnancy, anyone I met, strangers on the street, not that I really spoke to strangers, but anyone that came across me in my pregnancy journey, I had to educate, I had to explain. 
So I was already so defeated and low and the little energy I had, I had to explain to them why I was carrying around a towel and why I had to spit and why I wasn't talking or why my mouth was doing a funny thing. Because I, I guess the only way I can ex- this, describe to you the amount of saliva is if you were to vomit, think about when you're going to vomit or you, you kind of make, you have that excess saliva. I had that the whole time, the whole time. From the moment I wake up, obviously probably through while I was sleeping, but I was sleeping, so I wasn't thinking about it. Um, the whole day long, I had that amount of saliva. And me just talking like this to you, I would have pocketed in my mouth. And then my mouth would, my, I would start changing how it talked because I had this fluid that I was trying to think, trying to hold. And then I'd spit it. Um, or I'd put it in a towel. A lot of women find that they do a cup, like they spit into a cup. I personally couldn't do that because I was so grossed out by saliva prior. The towel was something I didn't physically have to see it. So, um, yes, but it, it, in regards to giving myself a label, it didn't help at all. It was, I didn't, I, there's not much information out there, which is why I wanted to talk about it. Because when I went onto Instagram, when I finally found the word, um, I went onto the hashtag and I, the, what I found was cats, cats having this drooling thing, cats. And I happened to go back onto the hashtag the other day just to kind of see if there's anything else other than my content that I've been posting regularly since the cat that I saw in my pregnancy is still there. That kind of explained that the extent of this tile is in part. Um, so yeah, it didn't really help in any way. Cause no one knew about it. It just, it's almost like, uh, yes, I had never heard of tileism before. And I think your content had come up a lot on my socials because of hyperemesis. And it was something, I guess, the algorithm saw we had something in common. Um, (laughs) And so that's how I came across your page. But Tylism is interesting to me because not only are you vomiting, but you've got this whole other battle that's completely separate to the HG. Do you find that or have you found that tylism can be on its own or is hg sort of like a prerequisite from the woman that i have kind of come across since talking about it usually it's been paired with hyperemesis or the and i don't know if it's just the people who's kind of been in my kind of circle or in Mm -hmm. my socials that kind of find me through that way but it's usually through hyperemesis that they also have the tylism and I, I've realized that it's not in, it's in various, various degrees. Some people may just have, I guess, an excess of saliva for short term or for a few weeks, or maybe just while their nausea is there. But in my experience, it was there all the way through to the end. Week 11, so, it started yeah, and it was 11. all the way until I gave birth, until that placenta came out. Um, I mean, we'll speak about my birth specifically later on, but um, I ended up get, using gas and air. And that dry, it's one of the side effects of it. It dries your mouth out. And I made the joke later on after I was, after I've given birth, that I should have been doing nangs in my pregnancy because it would have dried my mouth out. Obviously I didn't. And obviously I wouldn't ever, but that it, I had a normal mouth because of the gas and air um, in my, in the laboring part. So I'm interested to understand how you felt about all of this, how you felt about the relentless vomiting and nausea. And then how you felt about living with a towel in your mouth, basically. Like, what kind of impact did that have on you? At the time, I was in survival mode. 
Mm. And I, I couldn't, I, I was just, I mean, I questioned so much how I'd ever loved this baby because I wasn't ever blaming her. We didn't know her gender at the time, but I never blamed the baby. I knew there was just my body reacting to something, hormones. We know now there's a gene link to hyperemesis. Um, so I knew there wasn't the baby that caused this. I knew it was my body, but I questioned how I'd ever love her because of why I was so sick. I wasn't able to bond with her in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I was in survival mode. I was only trying to get through the minutes, the hour, the day to just get through the pregnancy. I didn't want to be pregnant anymore. My poor husband, the amount of times I'd call him saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Please, I cannot do this anymore. Um, it was just awful. It was just awful. Now I can see how much it really um, isolated me. Really, really isolated me. I stopped working. That day that I spoke to you about when I was last at work, that was my last day at work. Um, I did try going back time after time. And once my nausea was kind of more controlled, um, I did try going back. But because of the tylerism, I couldn't. You know, I'm a nurse. How can I go treat clients and spit in a towel? You know, it's, and obviously I'm embarrassed. I was extremely embarrassed. I felt dirty, lonely. I couldn't talk. I wasn't able to really talk because I was pocketing this fluid constantly. Um, so I ended up being at home, isolated by myself. You know, we, I mean, I didn't even mention this, but my husband and I ultimately had to, early on in my pregnancy, we ended up moving in with my parents because I needed more support. Um, mm. He also needed more support. He tried everything. This poor guy, he did so much for me. Um, and ultimately we decided we'll just move in with my parents and, and was, which was a godsend because I wasn't able to work. So I wasn't even able to supply or provide, I mean, for my family, my starting family. You know, I was stripped of my independence. I was a shell of a human so early on in my pregnancy. When it's supposed to be this joyous, beautiful time, I was just so alone. I was surrounded by my loved ones, but they didn't understand. Like they saw it. They're probably the closest people that could have understood what's going on. But realistically, they didn't know yes i mean i mean obviously i needed the support but my husband also needed the support in that moment you know he's also a new father and he also had to go into survival mode and help me you know luckily we've been married a long long time so it wasn't an early to marriage at some people my experience so he he really stood up like he went beyond i could ever imagine and helped me amazing so yes so we did move into my parents house which helped in a sense financially and um, obviously the support of just my husband working full-time and then you know just life around him have it working and man what life around him working out people don't quite understand the impact so mm-hmm. you'd mentioned financially and then did your job just put you on maternity leave from that moment so i guess luckily in my experience, or unlucky as well. Um, so I've been with this job, I've been in this job for a long time. So I had a lot of leave available to me. I had a lot of sick leave. I Working outside, I guess I wasn't exposed to a lot of things. You'd be in hospital, I wasn't sick a lot. Um, so I had, I think, more than three months worth of sick leave, which was a great godsend because um, I took them obviously early on and then I finally spoke to my big, big boss. And I said to them why I've been off sick. 
and um, I then got sick leave at half pay. So it kind of extended it out. Um, yeah. I think it was around 16 or 14, six, week 14. Um, I tried to go back to work. I was um, no longer as sick. I mean, we didn't even cover this, but week 12. So after I got woke up the next morning with saliva in my mouth and losing my mind, um, the magic week 12, I ended up back in hospital. It was another week of relentless nausea, vomiting, and now the drooling. So I was already dehydrated just from the normal hyperemesis things, but now also this drooling thing. Um, I went back to hospital around, I think it was just the 12 week mark thinking, yay, I'm going to get something that's going to disappear, right? This is just the quote unquote morning sickness that is now going to go. Um, and that 12 week, I mean, sorry, at that emergency visit at the same hospital. So again, this woman's hospital, um, this amazing doctor, I wish I knew his name because he gave me the diagnosis. He said, you have hyperemesis gravidarum. And I only think he said that because him himself was a survivor. He saw his wife suffer. So he saw it. He knew what it was. And, oh, God, I really wish I could meet up with him because I'm so grateful for him because he um, put me on a medication plan. I remember he put out the sheet and there was so much medications on there. Um, he's like, we're going to put you on everything and we can wean you off them. But we're going to start you on everything and play, not play catch up. We're going to get on top of it which was what it did. It, it really helped. And he also gave me a week of IV fluids. So the nursing organization that I work with has many different um, parts of it. And one is hospital at the home. And so I was getting the hospital at the home and getting fluids for a week without testing for ketones, nothing. He just went to the hospital, just at the doctor's directive and gave me the fluids, um, which was great because it meant mm. the medication was able to not build up as such, but kind of get on top of my nausea. And then the fluids was there to kind of give me the boost that I needed um, for the days where if I couldn't eat anything or drink anything, I knew I was getting fluids. So I was still um, feeling better. And you may, I don't know your hyperemesis story, but when you get one bag of fluid, you feel like a new person, 100%. Like I would be able to run around a, ma a marathon maybe, not that I would, but I, I felt like I, I could talk. Like I would literally yeah. be a person. Um, and they saw that time after time, each time they gave me a bag of fluids, I would come out of myself and I'd be who I feel like I am now. Um, but otherwise, I'd just be laying on bed on, or the couch or, you know, I'd, until I got my fluids. So it was only a week. I didn't get fluids after that. But um, I got in this medication plan, which was helpful. Mm. And so around week 14, I was like, okay, I can try and go back to work. Um, but I had this tirelessly thing. So I was drooling. And I was like, so I'll see if I can all work. of those things didn't help tirelessly. No, nothing right. um, of that helped. So, and this is before I saw, I mean, um, before I saw my midwives. And this is just mm. GPs and EDs. I didn't see any other um, baby-related people, healthcare professionals. Um, so week 14, I tried to go back to work. And um, I think I did two days until my big, big boss said to me, we can't do this. You can't work like this. Um, so I was finally at a point in my pregnancy where I was like, okay, I can get my life back together before this baby comes, kind of feel somewhat normal. Um, and my employer is like, no, you can't do this. We can't have it. You need to either swallow it. I mean, they didn't even know what it was. Um, you need to either swallow or find some medication or something to try and have stop this. So they weren't really supportive. Um, so I think I tried one day of work 
luckily it was a short day um, of swallowing it. But um, like many other Tylers and survive, um, survivors will tell you, when you swallow it, it kind of aggravates your nausea. So it just kind of like, well, I can definitely speak that for me, but I know a few that I've since been in touch with, same for them. They have to spit it because it's just such an excessive amount. It's gross. It's, it's, it, it kind of, it's, and it's later on in pregnancy, it aggravates your heartburn, which also then aggravates the saliva, which also then aggravates the nausea. So it's a constant cycle. So um, I didn't go I feel like it. them telling you to swallow it though. It's like, well, duh, Literally. I haven't thought of that before. Like, literally it was really it was really disheartening because obviously I've tried everything before that um so and then I was like okay come back to work and they're like no you can't go to work so I felt like they knocked me down completely I was trying to get up and they just knocked me down so I was so extremely sad about it um I think I did see my original midwife already and I called her up and I said I need a referral to the psych team because I just felt so sad I was so sad um, I wasn't any way suicidal or anything like that, but I just felt like alone and sad. Mm-hmm. I also reached out to a social worker. They were not helpful at all. They didn't, they were just like, oh, no, we can't do anything for you. I think that was literally the words, um, which is ridiculous because I thought they could get in touch. I, I thought they'd help me by getting in touch with something of known of high premises or something, nothing. They didn't help me at all. Wow. Um, I did see a psychiatrist under the hospital, which wasn't really in any way helpful for me. Um, she, I didn't feel in any way validated. She didn't do anything. But when I told her about work, saying I just need to swallow and deal with it, she did, um, what was it called? She did suggest a medication that helps with psychotic-induced hypersalivation, which I didn't know was even a thing. but. Wow. So, but, so she was in touch with a hospital pharmacist who gave me this drops. I don't even want to mention it because they said, they stressed to me that I need to only take the amount that it's required, nothing more because it's not safe at all for baby. So again, I was really taking X amount of medications. I'm sure if he was shaking me, I could rattle like something. So I, I was like, I think I tried that drops twice, um, two days. And it didn't do anything. It didn't do it in any way. I didn't feel like I'd reduce the salivation in any way. And I just stopped. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go back to work. And luckily, I was in a position that I was with my parents. My husband was working. Um, I had leave that I could rely on. So I had, I was still had sick leave. And then I was going to use my annual leave. Um, I did try and get the government assistance. But they didn't deem me as sick enough to access the sick payments. I think it was six weeks that I needed to have extra payments with, but they didn't deem me in any way what? necessary that I could have it. How sick do you have to be? Um, I don't that exactly. I didn't know what I could do. So, yes, I had six weeks of no pay, and then they only paid my quote-unquote maternity leave. They started that around six, these four weeks or something. So that was – otherwise I was stuck at home by myself. Yeah. and. I mean, they say that um, anxiety is definitely a side effect of having hyperemesis, which makes sense to me because your body is so severely depleted of Mm -hmm. any nutrients. Your nervous system is sort of running on overdrive. That makes sense Mm -hmm. to me. Um, But something that I also found just through talking in support groups and things with HG in particular was this sort of 
They say antenatal depression, but I call it hyperemesis depression. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate. Yeah, because I think that's what people don't realize about a sickness like this or a condition like this and add Tylerism on top of that with the embarrassment and humiliation and all the things that you were saying. Um, There is nothing more isolating and lonely when people, one, do not understand, but two, don't really want to understand. People just see Mm -hmm. you being sick, but it, and there is so much more going on under underneath that sickness. It affects every aspect of your life. 100%. It really does. And I think with the Tylerism, like you said, definitely is an added level because it impacted mm-hmm. my life. Like I was carrying around a survival little bag. Like I had three towels. You know the Terry White towels? Mm-hmm. If I were to go out for the morning, and I very rarely did go out, it would be all three of them would be soaked up from this amount of saliva so that kind of gives you an idea I never ever measured it like I couldn't spit in a cup but I mean at a guess I'd say easily are we going to go say like a liter's worth of saliva I want to say that but whether that's true or not I know three of those terry white would be sopping wet like wow. soaking wet um I'd have a vomit bag like any other hyperemesis sufferer I had my odanzatron Zofrin, which was the brand that worked for me specifically um, and then a plastic Ziploc bag so I could put these gross wet towels in. Um, it's really an odd thing to describe because my mouth and my lips would be dry, but I'd have this extra saliva. It's crazy to be like I was like dry mouth but wet at the same time. There's so many foods that I would avoid that had this weird feeling of cotton mouth that would allow, leave my mouth feeling like cotton mouth but I'd have this excess saliva. It's really a strange combination considering my mouth would be dry, yeah. but it is so sopping wet. Um, and so what would so, happen when you vomited? What would happen with the saliva? Would you have saliva just coming out as you're vomiting as well? I mean, this is quite graphic, but the the um, the vomit that would come out would almost be more mucusy because of oh, the saliva. So I yeah. guess it would, it, you know, it somehow helps because anything that I would have eaten, my, my throat or thing would just help come out because it's more lubricated. Um, yeah. But it still didn't make the vomiting less. It was just drooling. And then obviously as you vomit, I would just be able to think and this saliva would just be dropping out of my mouth. I mean, I had hours long baths because it was, and in the showers as well, I would just spit. Because there's one place I didn't have to worry about pocketing it or having this towel or looking like a crazy lady spitting in the street. It was really embarrassing. So I really didn't go anywhere because I'd have to explain it. Like I'd have to mm. explain the little energy I had to just kind of get out of the house or want to do something. I'd have to waste it by explaining to people, I'm not being gross. I'm not doing this on purpose. Mm. And so it resulted in me just staying home because it was easier. Because wow. I mean, that's just, I think a lot of mums who have high promises, irrelevant of the Tylerism, they'd have to explain why they're sick. Like I was in the mall here when I was pregnant and I threw up and I felt like people were just staring at me like I'm a crazy bum living on the street, <laughs> pregnant, throwing up maybe from alcohol rather than actually being pregnant sick. It was, I, no one came to tend to me. And I was visibly pregnant, throwing mm. up and no one came to check and say, are you okay? Do you need anything? They were yeah. just looking at me as if I was gross. Mm. So I, I never really left the house. Um, was very isolated, very lonely. Yeah. So I know that a lot of women who have 
suffered HG, have lots of aversions. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know if Tylism um, influenced your aversions that you had with HG or do you actually just think they are just completely separate? HG gives you certain aversions and Tylism is just brutal, <laughs> this additional. Oh well, I know that, I mean, I could easily tell you what I could eat and not from what I couldn't eat. Yeah. And- um, I do think later on in pregnancy when I was more able to eat and I was able to eat what anyone else was kind of eating but modified in a way that was smaller or um, because like many pregnant women, you have heartburn. But I think my heartburn would aggravate the hypersalivation or the tylism rather mm-hmm. so much more. So I would avoid um, citric foods, starches um, so much because of that. I know that I only had tea in the morning because the tea, and I can still vividly remember it. And I've actually realized that on the other side of my pregnancy, there are still foods I avoid, tea being one of them, because it would leave my mouth feeling weird because there's no words to describe it, but my tongue would be rubbery, dry, cotton-like, and my mouth would be wet from the talism. So there would be foods that would, um, obviously trigger my hypermesis and make me sick um, but then there would be foods who would trigger the, the heartburn and then kind of trigger the salivation side and then just kind of make me nauseous and kind of again do that cycle of sick vomiting kind of sense so I would say um, there wasn't a lot of foods that I did eat at all there was a handful of foods that I could eat that only helped like I think in early pregnancy, I could only have bubble tea. I know, I know you know the tea with the bubbles in it. Um, that's all I could have um, until there was a point I couldn't have it anymore. And then there was only breads that I could have. And then my husband's a chef. So luckily, he. I, I guess I would feel like I knew the food that he cooked was safe. Like mm-hmm. the So I would eat he, the food he cooked at his job. So I would, he, he didn't work very far from where we lived. So when he'd gone his lunch break, I'd go over. That was the only thing I did. Um, and luckily I could do that. But I could see him in that time still, quote unquote, social, socialize and have him to tend to my needs and emotional needs and just kind of be social in that sense. But I could also eat the food that I know he cooked and he was mm-hmm. safe. We call it safe foods and he was, his cooking was my safe foods. What about when you were eating? Because if you've got this, if you've mm. got tylism, did it affect you swallowing food? Strangely, no. Thinking back, I think it just kind of, I don't want to say normalized it, but maybe like I don't remember even eating and then the drawer would still pocket. It would be normal. Yeah. But obviously I couldn't eat all the time because I was yeah, sick and pregnant and heartburned, that whole kind of thing. So it's, you know, and I couldn't even sip water. There was a point that I couldn't stand looking at water. And I think maybe some other high premises sufferers have similar experiences, but we had a water fountain and I couldn't look at it. It made me feel sick. This wow. was early pregnancy, which is where I would always end up in the bathroom in the dark because it was just less triggering. Um, but yes, there was a point where I couldn't look at water. And I did have a water bottle, but it's I couldn't drink it. Like I... People would ask me when I was in pregnant, when I was pregnant, a lot of friends and family would say, when you're not pregnant, what is the first thing you want to eat? And I don't know if you ever had that question because they were so sick. But I was, like, I, I was like, I all I wanted to do was just drink, like scull a glass of water. I just wanted to be able to mm, scull a glass of water. Yeah. And I think that speaks wonders in how much I needed fluids. Later on in pregnancy, even though I was keeping 
more in I still needed I guess fluids like now I could see like I really should still be having IV fluids later on um but I didn't but I just wanted to really drink water did things get better as your pregnancy went along I know that you said the tylosome stayed um but did things ease up as you got to term I was nauseous and vomiting all the way up until 38 weeks not at all the extent I was early pregnancy it would be you know a few days would be in the night I'd be nauseous and I'd take the Zofran I'd manage my nausea with that specifically and by that time I wasn't taking all the medication that they gave me early on in pregnancy I myself weaned myself off whether I had to or not I don't know but I didn't want to take all that medication because I again was fearful of the baby Mm. Um, no one said that the other medication was unsafe but that first doctor who said don't you know the medication you took be careful kind of like snowballed into all the others yeah like by the end I was taking the um the heartburn tablet all the time Mm -hmm. I think many moms would at the end of pregnancy and I did the the Zofran I guess maybe at least once a day all the way until 38 weeks and I had two magic weeks after that where I mean I didn't have a perfect pregnancy in the sense that I was you know obviously I stole the talism but I had two weeks to kind of not that I even enjoyed the pregnancy but two weeks of no vomiting anymore no nausea but I had that saliva. So I was still in a dark place, still isolated, um, just wanting this day to end, the, this day, the day to end because it'd be closer to the end. Yeah. I know that a lot of women who um, suffer these types of conditions think about ending their pregnancy. Did that ever cross your mind? It was a very, oh, all the way. Um, I knew, I, I mean, at the time, I didn't know this, but I know that it's legal to terminate a pregnancy until 20 weeks. But I didn't know that after 12 weeks, you need to have a medical condition to kind of deem that to be acceptable or valid to have it. So until a friend told me that, even though now I would say high promises can be a valid reason to terminate a pregnancy for some people. And to the mum who has to decide that, I'm... I take my heart because it's a hard decision yeah. and I can understand that decision because um, it's, it's, it's huge. It impacts your life so much. So I can understand mm-hmm. a mum having to decide that. Um, so until that friend told me that it, it kind of stopped being on my mind because I wanted this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never that I didn't want it. I was fighting every day for this pregnancy. Yeah, I didn't feel strong. I didn't, if someone would have told me what I tell every mom now, I wouldn't have believed it. I didn't believe it because I didn't feel strong. I wasn't able to see the strength that I was having to fight for every day. So yes, mm-hmm. it was hundred percent on my mind daily. Every second I was like, I can't do this. Especially when I called my husband, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I never said it to him mm-hmm. because he knew how much we wanted to keep the baby. Um, but he knew it. He knew I wanted, it was on my mind. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that is sometimes really, really difficult to talk about. Um, so I appreciate your honesty. I did want to ask you about your birth experience. So it was obviously a day that you were very much looking forward to because it meant yes. that all of this ended. Can you tell me about your birth experience? How was it? Um, when did the symptoms cease? And how was your postpartum experience? My birth is was pure magic. It was really magic. I did want to start with saying that um, I kind of went in I, because of my hard premises and the tylosome, 
I was in survival mode so long. So I never really thought about, or not that I, um, obviously I knew there was a baby going to be in the end. 100% knew that. Every day, every time I vomit, I'm very much aware of it. Um, (laughs) But I wasn't able to think further than the day, the minute, the week, the something that I was in at the moment. Um, So much so that when I saw my midwife and they asked me, am I going to breastfeed? I didn't even think about that side. I wasn't a thing on my mind. Um, I'm still breastfeeding. So yes, I did. Um, but it was just not at all there's something that I could, could think about. We did do independent birth classes. We did hypnobirthing, which um, I knew about hypnobirthing. So that's why I wanted to do it. We also did the hospital classes. So I'd say my husband and I were a bit more prepared than other mums could have been, are in their birth experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really, um, I didn't really focus on it. Um, my birth that is. I did have a birth plan and the only two things in my birth plan is um, I wanted to birth in water and I wanted to not be told how how far dilated I was. I knew in a hospital setting they obviously have to check you for their policies and you know their guidance but I didn't want to know how far dilated I was. I wanted to stress that because um, it was a very big help that I didn't know that. Um, so Originally, I wanted to have a home birth before hypermesis took over my life. That was my goal. I just wanted to have at home, be safe. Um, I saw beautiful birthing videos of people doing that. So I was like, I'd love that. Um, not that I didn't trust hospitals in any way. Um, I just wanted to have that. But because hypermesis took over my life, I needed more structure. I needed to know that I was okay. I needed to know that there was people around me who could take action because I couldn't do that. And this is what my pregnancy has taught me is to let go because, and I can say that now at the time, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that, but being able to see that three years on, it taught me so much about letting go because I had to, I couldn't, I wasn't in control of my pregnancy. So I had to let go, which mm-hmm. helped me in my birth. And I say that, and I didn't know that rather, I should say. Um, so we did practice the hypnobirthing, which, Um, If people don't know, it's, you know, being calm and mindful and you're not in a hypnotic state in any way, um, but you're just kind of focusing on your breathing, helping that oxytocin release. Um, And it did. Like I, my waters broke. I thought I would, like every other woman, go over the 42-week mark because the first baby, I didn't think baby would come early. But my waters broke in the early mornings of um, 40 weeks and two days, I think it was. So it kind of surprised me. I wasn't expecting it to happen then. I was expecting to be pregnant forever because I felt like that. Um, and then my waters broke. Um, and I had midwife-led birth in the end in hospital just because I lived in the catchment area. So I was able to birth in hospital and I had my water birth, my water pool thing there. Um, so yes, um, I labored in the, per- the pool. Um, in the dark room, twinkly lights, um, the music playing, which was a very helpful thing in pregnancy. Um, you have to practice being calm and that thing. And I didn't think I practiced enough. I didn't think that at all. But the music was very helpful in my pregnancy with the anxiety. Mm-hmm. We don't even touch about this, but um, there was a point in my pregnancy where I was so anxious I couldn't leave the house. I'd have panic attacks as soon as I leave the house. It was awful like we didn't we lived in the city so it's like I had uh, things available to me like we could go to a restaurant when I was able to eat 
I would get there, we'd order the food, the food would get delivered and I would feel so anxious. I'd tell my husband, we need to go, we need to go now. Like I was having that panic attack feeling. So I used that music to kind of help calm me down for my anxiety. So I didn't think at all I was enough prepared to have the hypnotic birth experience that people talk about, but I did. Um, oh, it was pure magic. I don't, I've never really spoken about it, so I don't even have the words to really describe it. But um, I, I think I, you know, my waters broke super early in the morning and didn't know if it was just my mucus plug or if it's Braxton, Hick, Braxton Hicks. So I did call the hospital and they said, come in. And they're like, it wasn't even my nurse. It was just people who observe, you, observe you. Um, and they're like, oh, it's just your mucus plug. So they didn't take that my waters broke then. I threw up not long after. So again, it triggered my mm-hmm. anxiety from the high premises, which was a big thing in my labor. I, would, I didn't want to be in bed. I didn't want to be in a bed. Um, and I didn't want to have any IVs because I had so many in my pregnancy already that just the visual side of seeing the IV in my arm was causing anxiety. So my midwives knew that. So um, thank God they didn't put me on any because I would have been a horrendous mess. Mm. Um, but yes, so um, in the afternoon I got to the hospital um, after the day of laboring um, and um, they had to check me. And the reason I say I didn't want to be no, because I thought I was easily like six centimeters or something. But when I arrived, it was only four. And if I had known I was only four centimeters, yes. I would have completely been so dis- discouraged. I thought, oh, you know, four isn't only just starting and six. I thought I was like, okay, I'm close. So I'm so glad I didn't know that mm-hmm. because that was four in the afternoon. And I, she only got, she was born before midnight. Um, so yes, I was in the pool for quite a while, calm, no talking. My midwives were so, so supportive. They spoke to my husband, who would then talk to me when the time was right. Um, we used Clary Sage. I would be on him. It was really beautiful. Mm. And um, I think it was around an hour before I was giving labor, but I didn't know this at the time. They wanted to get me out of the pool because things kind of seemed to have slowed down a lot. And um I didn't want to get out of the pool. It was really hard to get me out of the pool. Um, and so they did get me out of the pool. And that this is the point where, like, I don't have the words to describe. I was in the shower. I did have the gas and air, but apparently throughout the whole kind of experience of using the gas and air, I was not using it effectively. I wasn't taking in a full breath that mm-hmm. you're supposed to truly have it. I was just sitting in the side of my mouth and I was, I guess, actually just helping drying my mouth out rather than actually helping the pain relief side. So that last hour I was in the shower. and you other moms or women you've spoken to on your podcast has said that it's like an out-of-body experience. I literally feel like I I left my body. I was asleep. I was in a dark, I don't remember that last hour. It was complete, quiet, calm. I didn't feel anything, nothing. It was just darkness in a good way. Like I was in such a calm place. Um, And the only thing that kind of brought me out of this trance I was in was my midwife celebrating because the head was coming and I didn't even know this the head was there like starting to crown and I wasn't feeling it I didn't know this I had to ask my mom like what's happened like what why are they celebrating Um, because they were trying to get me back into the pool so that I can birth her in the pool like I wanted to Um, and then 20 minutes later no ring of fire I was just following what my body did 
she came out all at once no head not, not, not the head thing but all at once and i caught her and it's kind of like that moment and i have a video of this and it's it's i've not shown it to anyone because it makes me so emotional because i was crying i was like oh my god i did it i survived this yes. pregnancy that was the first thing i said is like i survived this pregnancy and i did it i finally yeah. did it and i was like saying to my husband i did it i did it i did it i was all i could say is like i did this and um, it makes me emotional because i was like mm. it was just like finally it was over like yes it was over i i did it i finally survived this horrendous experience that has been so all-consuming all, 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 all overwhelming nine ten months of just awful and i did it mm-hmm. and that baby was there she was there and she it was amazing it was purely amazing and I'm so pleased I had that birth because if I had in any way a birth trauma I don't know if I could be who I am now I don't know how strong I it I was already so sad and depressed and in an awfully dark place because of that pregnancy and if my birth didn't in any way wasn't in any way the way it was and I don't know if I would have been able to survive yeah at all I'm so happy for you. That sounds amazing. And you, you absolutely, you did it. And I'm so proud of you. And even though this was three years ago, it, it it's crazy to me how profound a birth experience like that can be. Like you still feel those feelings now, you know. That's I was amazing. thinking about it because I was like, I realized obviously I haven't spoken about my birth mm. out loud. Um, and if, if I'm ever crazy enough to have a baby again, and I don't feel like I could. It's because of that birth. Mm-hmm. I want to have that birth again. Yeah. I did have a a post a, a bleed of a thousand mils, which is a, a lot. Um, so they got me out of the pool quite quickly. Um, but I was in that such a state of relief mm. that it wasn't in any way phasing me at all. Um, but so if I did have another baby, I wouldn't be able to be in the pool, and that is a big upset for me I want to be in the pool so I would be doing a home birth and I would be getting a doula and I would be like no this is what I want (laughs) well I love that anyway (laughs) no yeah I I completely understand I do so did you have any remaining side effects um coming into postpartum and even now three years later so the tyrolism and obviously the, the nausea from hyperemesis disappeared almost instantly um it's almost like i woke up from a dream wow which was it it, that in its own is crazy like for Mm -hmm. nine months of this constant struggle it just disappeared like that to a point i was like almost like did i make it up i mean i have so many photos to prove that i didn't but still it's like how could it just disappear like that um i don't even think about it i mean um, I had this baby, so I didn't have time to even think about it. Now, I wish I had people around me helping me in when baby was Earthside because there's so much more that hyperemesis and tylism has affected me in mentally. I wish people were more supportive of me as a mum rather than oh, I want to come and see the baby yes. because I needed to be held. I needed to, I needed that time to process the pregnancy i needed to speak about it um and luckily i have been you know i i started talking about my pregnancy in 2020 when i started i i shaved my hair and i raised a, a large amount of money for high premise australia which i'm Amazing. so proud about but that was the start of me kind of realizing i need to talk about it i need to 
share my pregnancy. And I have since connected with so many beautiful mums who share my experience, who I don't have to waste my energy explaining it because they know. Um, and that's something I would I want every high premises and Tyler's mum to find is find the people who know what you're talking about because you're not wasting your energy defending your condition or defending your pregnancy or explaining it and educating. You're just sharing your experience. You're just being validated and connecting mm-hmm. with those mums and other family members, of course, as well. But yes, after, I mean, the Tylerism now still, um, when I talk about it, I, I notice the saliva in my mouth. Um, I, I used to be in quite a, and I say there's a few, there's one um, Facebook group that I was with another mum who started it and we've kind of been involved, but I've had to remove myself because I found it so triggering. Wow. So I've had to kind of learn my boundaries. And even with heart premises, um, talking about my pregnancy, I've had to learn my boundaries. And you know, after every hyperness awareness month, I've realized I kind of need to step a bit back afterwards because when you're talking about your trauma so much, it takes it out on you. I'm not reliving it like I used to in the beginning of my, you know, my postpartum experience, but um, it, it's a lot. It's a it's lot. It's just like emotionally draining. Definitely. That's it. hundred mm. percent. So emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, I saw on your stories a little, well, maybe last week, how you had a trigger. Oh, yeah. And you sort of were documenting what that trigger was like. Can you maybe walk us through what happens? when you have yes. a trigger? So I have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, so PTSD and um, post-traumatic stress anxiety disorder because of my pregnancies, pregnancy, sorry. Um, so, I mean, I'm still learning my triggers and how much they're affecting me. You know, as much, something simple like the weather changing puts me mm. in an anxious state. I don't mm. know if it's because I was working outside. I can't speak for other months, but for me, um, when when summer starts coming around here in Perth, I get not as anxious as I would when I get gastro or the nausea is there, but it definitely puts me on edge. I used to not being able to see maccas. I used to not be able to see the golden arches because it would make me feel sick. Because at one point that was all I could eat was the hash browns. Isn't that so inc- now? That's insane. Hey, because for me it was the um, thick shake at Hungry Jack's, yeah. the vanilla thick shake. <laughs> Wow. So have bizarre. you had it since? No. <laughs> I have been back to Macca's, so I have over- overcome mm-hmm. that trigger, which I'm very proud of. I mean, not that you want to say that you are eating Macca's again, but I'm very proud that I said I'm able to. I mean, there's a point where my husband's like, I'd like to get some Macca's, and I would be crying in the mm-hmm. drive-thru because he's getting food, not because he's insensitive. He's like, I'm so sorry, but he really craves it, and I understand that. But I used yeah. to cry. Just the fact that we're driving through a drive-through, it was. I mean, I say it's ridiculous, but it, it was. It, uh, it was my. I, it would help me accept and real. understand my triggers, I guess. Mm. Yeah. But now, the two big things that really uh, scares me is gastro. I'm so extremely scared of gastro. Anyone talking about having a runny tummy puts me in a state of emergency almost. Like I, I yep. am like my poor husband like you know he he just says oh you know he had a curry and he has a runny tummy and then I'm like go wash your hands I don't like I literally tell him like oh I don't think you should sleep in the bed next to me like I'm that scared of yeah. getting gastro have I've had gastro it? twice oh, yeah thank yep. you know, kids you know but mm-hmm. twice it is and it puts me in this 
in like I literally have anxiety attacks like I'm on the floor I mean I posted a picture of how I looked like I was on the floor mm-hmm. half naked cold towel on my face buff on my eyes again humming like I'm making this vibrating feeling I need to try to just numb me again which is exactly how I was in pregnancy I needed to just kind of shield this world and just zone in on trying to survive yeah so yeah I hate it I and the only thing that kind of resets that anxiety to me is sleeping I need to go to sleep but as a mom I can't go to sleep I can't just like put my kids in one room put the tv on and just go to sleep I still need to be a mom so it's so I mean thank god I have my husband and he's so wonderful and the day that you saw that story I called him I was like you need to come home now I can't do it and I've been at work I picked her up and the drive home was the hardest drive I had to ever experience because I had this migraine which triggered my nausea Mm. on that day um so I had to still drive home be safe get her Mm -hmm. in the door I put the tv on and I was in the room and I was like your dad's coming and she's so lovely but I've realized in this as well I'm gonna have to tell her all this I will need to explain this to her it's gonna affect her life as long as it's affecting mine that Mm. there will be days moments that mommy's gonna have to you're gonna have to leave me alone which is awful but it's now also affecting her life Mm -hmm. but also saying this that although I'm the first generation of hyperemesis suffer in my family there is a high chance that she will have to she will suffer if she chooses to have a baby and Mm -hmm. and I don't want her to ever feel like I have in any way suffer that I have but I'm hoping that through my advocating and talking and educating she will be so much more prepared than I ever was from this awful trauma that I have experienced in my pregnancy, it's given me a purpose. I, not necessarily because of my daughter, but the purpose of just making other mums feel heard, feel seen, because I wasn't. Yeah. No one. So I don't ever, I don't ever want a mum to feel alone like I was. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. I want to talk about it. And my inbox is always open for anyone. Well, I'm curious to know what has healing looked like for you? I feel lighter in the sense I'm not heavy from my pregnancy, but I feel brighter. Mm. I, I think you can understand what I'm trying to say, but I don't, I don't have anything to back that up. It's all spiritual. It's all emotional. Mm. It's all kind of like, I feel like I've leveled up in me mm-hmm. to where like, I see people differently. I mm-hmm. see people's experiences. I see their pain and trauma as truth but know that it's they're on a journey to a different to a a new level I say level because I just see them like it's putting there where they need to be and I'm able to say that because I'm on a side where I am no longer in that darkness and I was for a long time like after baby was earth side a lot of people you know and would have just thought oh no longer sick you're fine and I even I, I guess indirectly I even thought that not that it was an active thought, but I kind of went my life on thinking, okay, part of my life was that. Now I'm no longer there. I'm okay. Um, I would now say and stress to any, any supportive person who, would, who is around a person of high premises and or tylism that you need to be aware that that mum is going to start processing that pregnancy it may be quick, it may be a long time, but they are, on a, are now on a journey of accepting that part of their life. Mm. Um, I can say that for myself, you know, like any person, like the first few days, you know, people, I questioned if I'd ever love this baby ever. 
Um, and I want to say that a lot of mums, irrelevant of their pregnancy, whether it was hyperemesis and tylosin, or just a bit of nausea and vomiting or just morning sickness, not everyone fall in love instantly. Everyone takes a while. It's you meeting a new person. Yes, you've given birth to that person. You are forever connected and you are and love them, but you are falling in love with them sometime after. And it could be weeks, days, months. For me, it took three months before I fully, fully would die for this person. Like I would die for her now. And mums would understand that. But in the beginning, I didn't have that. I, I knew she was mine. I knew I had a duty. It, it wasn't a burden in any way. I wanted to. But that internal connection and love that we have now, that I feel now, came later on. Mm. Um. And then when I, you know, leading up to that, I think it was a few days where I have a beautiful video and I, I'm just that person who would record it. And I don't think I could ever share it because it was just such a moment. The first time I told her I love her out loud, I recorded and I was crying because it was like everything coming together, being like, I do love this person. I do love myself for doing what I did and surviving the pregnancy I did and having her here and seeing how much I've grown. I can say that now because I can look back. But at mm -hmm. the time, I didn't see that in myself. I didn't see how much strength it took. Hindsight it... is a wonderful thing. Truly, <laughs> truly. And I mean, some people may never feel that, but I want yeah. them to know that. But that's why I say, like, you are so strong. You are amazing for fighting this minute, this hour, this day, for just fighting for you and this baby you have not met. No. You are fighting. So yes, I would say for supportive people around mum, do not ask the mum to hold the baby. I stress that because I didn't want to give my baby to anyone because I was finally bonding with her. I didn't have the nine months that other people may have in Bradley where they fall in love and they want to, you know, they bond with that baby. I didn't have that because I was in survival mode. I had to survive. Now that she's here, I didn't want to give her to anyone. Mm. And I don't have the there. There's another mum who's quite active in the hypermissus world, Charlotte Howden, I think she is. Um, she last year at Hypermissus Awareness Day spoke something about the anxiety side, and I'm just going to like really mess it up, but it highlighted the anxiety that she experienced when she had her baby and how fearful she was of losing this baby. And I think a lot of mums can have that feeling, but I think for myself and maybe others with hypermissus as their history is I can't just have another baby. Not that I ever expect any mom to just think they can have another. That's not what I'm trying to say. But to me, it's harder to think about even getting pregnant. It put me on a path of realizing how I was raised. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of circle of security. Mm. And this is a bit of a tandem thing, but I did that and it helped me in my healing. It helped me in understanding why I react or, mm -hmm am the way I am and why I process the things I am doing. So it helped me understand who I am and then helped me be able to look into my trauma and understand it better. Yeah. Very interesting. And, and I, I think because some people haven't done the circle security and it's not, that should be the baseline for all parents. I think. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's, when you find someone who's done the circle, you just want to talk about the circle because it's, it's just like this, it's opened my eyes to realize yeah. the world. It's helped me to understand my trauma and helped me my healing process mm. to look back and see 
me, the real me, but also have learned, has helped me put boundaries in place. So I didn't have boundaries. I didn't know about boundaries because of my circle. Um, and with my parents specifically, we lived in my parents' house still. And obviously they had an expectation of how they would be when they're grandparents. They didn't, they've never been around anyone who suffered autism or hyperemesis. So they didn't know, couldn't have known um, the impact it had in my life after and still does. Um, to a point where when I didn't want to give the baby, I didn't want to, like I would physically feel like I don't want to. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's because of my trauma. My mum once said to me, um, how will she ever know that I'm her grandparent? So I, I already felt guilty because I didn't want to. And people around me were just adding to it because yes. they had their own story, their own yeah. thing. They're not aware. I wasn't aware. Like It's only now that I can look back at the first year of her life and really see for, the, for what it was mm-hmm. and, and able to be now in a place where I can talk about it yeah. and vocalize somewhat my healing but when it comes to the healing this is a hard question like it really is a hard question for me to answer because well, it's, it's not a feeling. it's not linear is it no it's very it's a feeling rather than a, a physical thing that i can say i'm yes. better now That's because right. there's days where i am i feel good but then there's triggers which sets me straight back to day zero mm-hmm. where i'm like stuck there but then as soon as that passes and then maybe it's a person who i am i can see a good from a bad but it doesn't mean everyone has that. Yeah. So I don't know how to speak about the side of the healing, but it's been a shift. Yeah, I find it interesting. And to me, as an outsider who is, I guess, hearing your story for the first time and hearing you talk about that, it sounds like you're just still in it. Like it's still going. So it can be hard to articulate it when you're in the thick of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I did want to ask you, what do you want people to understand about hyperemesis gravidarum and tylosome? Because I know you're very passionate about talking about these two conditions. What is it that you want people to understand? I want people to understand that it isn't something that they make up. It's real. Yeah. It's not in your mind. It's not in their mind. It's a real thing. I think that's the biggest thing that I want to stress here is it's real. There's two, you know, you don't want your and sadly there are so many sufferers whose partners think that they're making it up and that's awful like the time that you need that support from the person you love the most and they think that you're making it up it's hard like I cannot imagine if my husband did that like I already felt so alone and isolated from the healthcare professionals not validating my experience to my family not fully understanding it because I don't know it and then the person, your husband, your partner, whatever, the person you're living your life with, bring this baby in, now questioning you as well. So believe that mum, believe them. They say high premise gravidarum is a rare disease. I don't believe that. I think Me it's either. just really diagnosed. It's just rarely diagnosed. Mm-hmm. People just, again, have this old narrative that's like, uh, it, just cope, just deal with it. You're just morning sickness. And... We don't really want to, I, I, now there's talk in the high premises world that we're not calling it morning sickness. It's pregnancy sickness mm-hmm. because it's not in the morning. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's all the time and it's degrees of pregnancy. There's a, a scale 
of pregnancy sickness. I was just on the very, very far end of it. For the people around the mum who is suffering with Tylosin and, and hyperemesis gravidarum is to be kind and supportive after baby's birth side. I just really want to stress that because that mum doesn't know what and how they're going to be after. They're not able to think that far. I wasn't. I didn't think about it. I didn't even know about postpartum depletion in a normal pregnancy, let alone a hyperemesis one. Um, and I believe now, like I had mastitis so frequently after baby, and I would say it's partly because I was so depleted. I didn't even, wasn't in any way aware about it. Um, so yes, I would say support, 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 and mm. love, validate, just listen. Let that mom talk your ear off of her experience and don't i would say listen with no not trying to fix it don't give a toxic positive comments just listen i want to say bring to people's attention that um hypermus australia has a beautiful support peer program um that i wish i wish i wish was around when i was pregnant and mm. um, unfortunately hypermus australia only got founded after i had my baby otherwise i would have been right into that program and spoke to those women um so i wanted to stress that that is available um, now we have support something yes. official at least yeah um because i think it's i mean i we don't have to add this but i'm one of those mums now on the other end who can support them um i'm very passionate I, obviously you can say i'm very passionate i want mums to not feel ever feel alone um and also mums who have tylosin um there is other mums who have suffered with tylosin who's also with high premise australia in the support support program we don't have solutions necessarily but we can understand what you're talking about so that you don't have to again waste your energy in explaining it but rather than sharing your experience so i want to stress that there is people out there Dante, you're amazing you're doing Thank wonderful you. things in this space and your Thank voice you. is so needed so so needed particularly for tylism thank you for coming on it's been such a beautiful conversation and you speak so well about this experience yes you absolutely do (laughs) thank you thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode if you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health please don't hesitate to reach out We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.